You are the brave, red pioneers of Mars. You do what we could not do. You suffer so that others will flourish. Always remember that obedience is the highest virtue. Investigators are focusing in on terrorist group the Sons of Ares, who's believed to be behind the bombing that claimed the lives of an entire mining crew and technician group yesterday. With winter well on the way, the drafters have a new favorite emerging. Darrow Al Andromedus and fellow House Dranks, the Howlers, led a punishing assault on Pat Al Telemannus and House Minerva today. We'll break it all down for you, coming up next. You're of use because you're more than a weapon. When your wife died, she didn't just give you a vendetta. She gave you her dream. You're its keeper. Welcome to Hail Reaper. Hey everyone, welcome to a very special episode of Hail Reaper. My name is Philip, and this is my good friend Jeremy. How you doing, dude? I'm doing great today. We have a very special guest with us today. She is Pierce Brown approved. She is a pencil maestro and a brilliant <laughs> artist. You know her as PB Doodles, but we're just going to call her PB today. How's it going, PB? Great. How are you guys? Doing very well. We're doing really good. Like I'm so pumped for this interview because you are, um, I think you're kind of a god in Red Rising right now. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I'm trying to embarrass you. I, I, I'm, I'm openly trying to embarrass you. But truly, I mean, I told you this story and I'll briefly tell it. You know, when we when we started uh, Hail Reaper, just about in, in August is when we kind of officially launched. But uh, leading up to that, we opened up an Instagram account. I remember telling Jeremy, we have to follow PB Doodles on our Instagram because she makes the most amazing Red Rising art. And uh, it's all pencil done. We'll talk about that more in a minute. But it, it it's still fascinating every time i look at your instagram i am truly fascinated by how you're able to capture the characters but also just the artistry of it so thank you for being here today oh thanks for having me i'm really excited well the first question to just jump into the interview would be how did you discover red rising so none of this would have happened if it were not for one of my best friends rebecca who's actually sitting right across from me right now (laughs) (laughs) shout out to Uh, rebecca Yeah, definite shout out to Rebecca. Um, We were painting her basement one day and she's like, dude, you need to listen to this story. It's really, really good. And so we made it through like the entire mining part of the book. And then I was like, cool. Yeah, sweet. I I just like stopped there. It was like two years later. I I texted her like, hey, what was that book you were reading? Because I am out of content. And she's like, dude, it's Red Rising. You have to get it right now. And so um, I did. And the minute Mickey puts Darrow together... I was hooked like instantly and I just ran through all of the books within like three months and the rest is history. So you're, you're big on the carving scene then? Is that what you're referring to? I loved it. I was like, gosh, I haven't read anything quite like this before. And I was just totally hooked. Like I have to admit like the whole like beginning of Red Rising didn't really hook me. I was like, gosh, you know, it was kind of boring. Yeah. And then I got through it and I was like, holy crap. Like, why did I not <laughs> read this sooner and then of course Rebecca was giving me a hard time she's like I told you so she yeah if it weren't for her there would be no red rising fan art for those of you that don't know essentially you're not on Instagram or at one of your platforms that you post your art on you are uh, a brilliant artist again but you've been specifically doing for the last about couple months probably like really focusing on red rising portraits yes and so and and by portraits you mean you're taking the character and you're you're giving them, you're giving them a whole personality with inside these portraits. And Pierce Brown has seen these on Instagram and then he's been reposting them. I think he reposted your Ragnar piece and your Harmony piece. Am I correct? He actually follows me now. He followed me as of last night. I was just like, what? I got the notification and my heart dropped out of my butt. I was like, what? (laughs) What? This is insane. You know you've made it when you get the follow. (laughs) Yeah. That's the one everyone waits for. Yeah, he's going to slide into a DM like, hey, get me one of those, get me one of those portraits. Oh, gosh, (laughs) I kind of hope not because the pressure is on (laughs) because like I just I don't know, I've just been drawing. I was just like not really expecting much. (laughs) No, it's funny. Your your story is is pretty similar to mine, though. And on like Philip called me and said, dude, you got to check this out. (laughs) (laughs) So we we started in very much the same place. That was fun. So I'm Rebecca. You're Rebecca. (laughs) Yes, this is Rebecca. I want to talk about kind of your art medium and your style. So how would you really classify that? 
It's definitely a hybrid. It's not just traditional graphite work. Um, I do use the gold leaf, um, and it doesn't really have a name that I'm aware of other than just mixed media art. I've seen it done by a few other artists, uh, like Vaughn Art. He uses gold leaf and pencil. And um, another artist that I really like, her name is Rebecca Yaniskova. She uses ballpoint pen and gold leaf, and I use ballpoint pen in my early portraits, and then I switched to using graphite. Um, and so it's just a traditional mixed media. Is even in your even in your Red Rising work, there was it started in ballpoint, right? And then you've actually transitioned to graphite. Yes, yeah. Um, the ballpoint pen was fun. It was actually a challenge given to me by my art therapist. She's like, "I want you to let things go and just let the mistakes fall where they go." So for a month, I want you to do nothing but ballpoint pen art. And I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess." So <laughs> I I stuck with the ballpoint pen with the the red rising. And then after that month was up, I'm like, I just really love pencil. I have way more flexibility with it and I can get far more detail. And if there is a mistake, I can erase it, which is really nice. So Mm. yeah, so there's definitely that. Can you talk about what an art therapist is real fast? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So uh, it's basically like a regular therapist, but instead of like, we're going to talk about your problems, she uh, gives me art projects. And so it kind of helps access a different part of the brain. So you're not just like, constantly thinking about a problem, you're creating your way through a problem. Um, and so it's a really interesting way. That's also another one of Rebecca's contributions to my life. Thanks, Rebecca. Wow. Shout out. <laughs> Rebecca is killing it like lately. She's a good she, friend. Rebecca's what a really a good, good friend. friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's a good friend. Um, but yeah. And today we're actually having an art day. So we're in my office and we're, we've been drawing since noon. Now, when you were doing the uh, ballpoint pen, did that also incorporate gold leaf or is that just with graphite that you started doing that? Uh, no, some of the ballpoint does have the gold leaf and metal leaf. It's an absolute pain in the butt to work with. I absolutely hate it, but I also love how it looks because I really like shiny things. And so I'm willing <laughs> to deal with it. But yeah, no, definitely gold leaf in almost all of my work now, for sure. You use it so well. It use it so sparingly too. It's not, it's not something that you're just throwing on top of stuff. Like I think of the Tactus portrait you've done. So, and we'll, we're going to put, if we reference something, um, we're going to put links to them in our uh, podcast description so you can see. But you have like this Tactus portrait that, that we were talking about the other day and you just kind of really have it more in his collar and it kind of like slides down kind of towards the end, like angles down towards the end. It's so like, it's so well used, the gold leaf, because it's, we're talking about it as if it's this big piece, but it, it's more of like, you use it more like an accent. Yeah. It's like makeup for my artwork. Like it's supposed to enhance, not cover. Well said. <laughs> clearly you're amazing so you probably went to just like a this amazing art academy and studied there for <laughs> years and years so where did you really get your start uh, my start was not an art academy i've actually never been to art school that's, I... that's bizarre by the way that's insane to me <laughs> it's it literally is. Bizarre. that's yeah. crazy <laughs> thanks um my art school was uh kim murphy's high chair uh i was like <laughs> just, my mom would just throw me in the high chair with a crayon and paper just to keep me busy. And um, so I've been drawing for as long as I can remember. And then my grandpa was a draftsman and he taught me how to use a pencil. And I was really young when he taught me that. And it's just kind of been then I've always just I've always drawn. You know, in high school, when we had like our art class, my um, my art teacher was awesome. She let me sit in the, s- the supply closet and do whatever I wanted to, which is super awesome. It was my favorite class because I could do whatever I want to. And it's like an automatic A and uh, other teachers would let me paint on their walls. Yeah, it's fun. So was high school when you started taking art seriously or was it actually before that? No, high school. Actually, to be completely honest with you, I didn't really start taking art seriously until um, seven years ago. And then I took like I think it was like a six or five, five or six year hiatus. And then now um, art was always just kind of something that I did on the side. And it was something that just kind of helped take the stress off. I went through, I went to a college prep school. So from like grades six through 12, I, you know, it ranged from four to six hours of homework a night. So I didn't do any extracurricular activities or anything like that. All I had was art and video games. Um, And so I never really took it seriously, I guess, in that way until recently. Yeah. See, I mean, if I were to get into art, I would try to do Bob Ross's happy trees or something. <laughs> but what, what's crazy is you went for the human figure. I mean, your yeah. portraits. I mean, so to me, and I don't know much about art, so you'll have to help me along with this, but human like figures and, and portraits are supposedly considered to be some of the hardest things to draw at a very high difficulty level because of, you know, facial features and, and things of that nature. I mean, 
That that's true, right? Am I off base? No, you're not off base. In fact, um, the reason why I started drawing red rising characters was because I really, really wanted to practice my portrait skills because portraits are stinking hard. They are so hard to do. And so I'm like, well, I don't really want to just draw anything. And at the time, of course, I was reading Red Rising. I was like, well, heck, maybe I should just start drawing these characters because I love them so much. And it just kind of went from there where I was just, you know, pumping out these portraits of these characters that I loved and really enjoying the process um, instead of focusing on the end result, which is really important as an artist. If you don't enjoy the process, just, you know, forget it. You know, nothing, nothing will make up for any type of end result if you hate doing it. So that was really what had me doing the portraits again. Um, I really, if I ever meet Pierce Brown, I'm going to thank him for <laughs> making me interested in art again, because reading Red Rising and doing the Red Rising portraits is really what pulled me out of that, you know, six year desert when I did maybe one piece a year. You know, with those pieces like, you know, your Adrius picture and your Victra, they have so much, what I would call like soul. And I don't know if that's like just all in the eyes or, or how you as an artist kind of captures that attitude and what they have kind of behind those eyes. Is it just in that or, or what kind of features do you target in on to get that attitude? Oh, you're definitely not wrong. It's definitely a lot in the eyes. Um, and it's a lot in like the very subtle facial expressions, uh, the subtle facial, facial muscles, like the muscles between the eyebrows and around the eyes and around the mouth, specifically around the mouth. The mouth is really important. So that's where I spend a lot of the focus on and making faces while I draw. That helps. <laughs> Yeah, I'm a sight to see when I'm doing art. That's great. That's so awesome. It, it makes me it makes me think of the uh, uh, the Disney animators. Yeah, you know, going back to like the Snow White days where they're making faces at each other in the mirrors, and that's pretty cool. Yeah. How long does it take you to do one of your portraits, like one of your more recent works? Um, the recent works are actually taking me a lot longer because I'm really just sitting with them longer. So Atalantia, I think took me about six hours. Jeez. Wow. Okay. Yeah. The other portraits, it depends on the portraits. They can take anywhere from two to six hours. Lorne took me, I want to say like three and a half and Victra took me, I think three and a half, four hours. So when you're doing these, when you say two, three, four, even six hours, I can't imagine that's one session. No, gosh, no, yeah. <laughs> I am a very squirrely person. So I usually take it in like, um, hour to two hour, like intervals. I usually put something on the TV. So it depends on how good the TV show is, depending on how long I'll actually sit on at work or if I'm really in the zone. But for the most part, I have the worst squirrel brain. I cannot just do one thing for more than an hour. Is there a TV show specifically or like an album that you can put on that kind of like influences like that creative like thought for you? Yeah, <laughs> uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, which I think I've seen like seven times through. <laughs> <laughs> That's Shout awesome. out to Star Trek! Yeah, <laughs> um, like recently I've been watching lots of nature documentaries. Um, that's, but I don't usually watch those when I'm doing the Red Rising ones or listening to like lo-fi beats on Spotify. So how would, but how would Star Trek? Like seriously, because I'm curious how your brain is working. <laughs> How is Star Trek influencing anything you're doing with a Red Rising portrait? Like, what, You what's know, that? I don't know. I think it's just science fiction, so it just puts me in a science fiction mood. And the fact that I've seen it so many times, I'm not so like tempted to just like watch it. Um, so it's like that, that comforting background noise. It's like getting a hug while you're working. So <laughs> I can focus better. But I think it's just the science fiction. It's usually what I put on the background if given opportunity. Yeah. That makes sense. And I, I do have another question for you, too, on this kind of like level about characters and portraits and where we're at right now with the interview. You do a lot of secondary, tertiary uh, characters that are, are very like they're absent from most of the story. Like, again, right. <laughs> we have an, we have uh, Ollie, a snow sparrow portrait that you've done. We have a, one of your more recent works, the Duke of Hands, which is, yes. you know, uh, a more a much more minor character. So why are you driven to do those characters versus maybe someone like you have like a Darrow piece, but you don't have like the Darrow portrait yet. And nor do you have a Severo portrait yet, like mm -mm. officially. So why these characters versus some of the characters that everyone kind of like adores? I really, really like secondary characters. I think that they're big plot drivers and I don't think they ever get enough um, attention. And for some reason, those are the characters that are the most vibrant in my mind when I draw them. Also, I'm not, I'm not going to lie that like the pressure is a lot lower to draw secondary characters than the first ones. Like I am terrified to do Darrow. I like, I don't want to do Darrow at all. <laughs> and I have actually, Severo is already in my brain. I know exactly how I'm going to draw him. I have the reference material lined up, but I'm always like 
someone's gonna be like, that's not how I pictured Severo. And I was gonna be like, well, yeah, of course it's not. It's in my brain. I, I don't know. I don't know. So maybe I'm a little sensitive, delicate flower, but I love the secondary characters. I love them so much. You're adding something new to the world. Yeah. I, I guess we kind of know based off of other people's interpretations, what Severo might look like. Right. Or Darrow or Mustang. Cause those three characters, I, I, I'm pretty sure the most uh, captured via that vessel of art. Yeah. But yeah, but like I told you, like your Duke of Hands is now my Duke of Hands. Like <laughs> in my it. in my head, I can't see anyone else. So, but it's weird because that there's a plaintiveness to that drawing of uh, that that piece of, of Duke of Hands where he's kind of has his hands together and he looks very calm and relaxed. But now it's it's when I read like Iron Gold or when he's slapping the kids. Yeah. For, you know, it's like <laughs> I, I, I it's hard to see that, but I still do. I see this like he's still kind of serene and calm and collected. Yet he's vicious now yes. at the same time. So I love that you've kind of given uh, not just myself, but a lot of people frame of reference for what these like these secondary tertiary characters might look like. So honestly, I think that this sounds for me personally. Thank you for that, because you've <laughs> added you've added a lot of depth and dimensionality to what this world can now look like. I was doing some research and in, in kind of prep for the interview, and I noticed the same thing. I was going on the Red Rising wiki. And I was noticing that a lot of your artwork is kind of the reference drawing for the characters. So I think as as new people are are kind of reading this and going, hey, I wonder what I can find out about, you know, X character. And they go on, they search for it and they go, oh, Red Rising Wiki. Like, I think your characters will kind of become a lot of the reference points. And I think that's that's really awesome to be in that position. It's it's kind of, it's crazy because when I started <laughs> drawing these, I was just drawing them to practice my portraiture. I never never in my wildest dreams thought that I would be here talking to you guys and having Pierce Brown follow me of all things. And people were like, when are you going to sell this? I was just like, I'm just drawing. Like, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never really set out to, I guess, change the way people thought of it, but it's kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. I mean, heck, I'll take it. <laughs> I was looking um, on your Instagram at some of the other stuff you drew. And I noticed, because uh, you're a big Dune fan, I think, right? I love Dune. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And one of my favorite drawings, you just, those blue eyes that you had. Is it, is it Maudib? Is that how you say his name? Yeah, Maudib. Yeah. The blue eyes you captured were, was just amazing. So, I mean, like, along with Dune, what are some, some of the other uh, characters or, or portraits that you like drawing? A lot of, like, secondary characters from Star Wars. A huge Star Wars fan. I did a little bit of work for like Six of Crows when I read it. Not very much. That's kind of when I first started drawing portraits from the books that I was reading. But it's a lot of like Star Wars, I would say. A lot of like sat or satirical comic type Star Wars stuff. Yeah, you have like that Stormtrooper like satire piece and that Yoda satire piece. Yeah. Those are fun though. They're fun to like just glance at because it's a different spin on a character that we already all know. It was just something that like... When I my before I took my hiatus, I was drawing like these uh, cranky coffee characters, and they kind of sprouted from that. And I haven't done those in a long time, but yeah. So as far as that, I, I I'm pretty new to the fan art world, to be completely honest with you guys. Yeah, it's fun though. I like it. Well, you you came in quite heavy, so <laughs> <laughs> well done. Outside of like the IP though, I think I saw some just kind of general portrait art that you were doing as well. Is that right? Yeah, so um, I used to draw portraits for um, like my family members. Like, there's a, a picture of a Tie Fighter pilot. That's actually my my younger brother. Oh, I love that one. That's really cool. And I'm supposed to do my other brother, and then my husband is like this like three piece set for my mother in law. Um, and then I've done a lot of like I love organic, creepy creatures, um, concept art, stuff like that. A lot of stuff that you guys haven't seen on my Instagram is just like nonsense. I love mushrooms and fungi. I think they're super cool. I love taxidermy. I, I like. I'm not. I'm, I promise you, I'm not a creepy person. I just really love that kind of <laughs> I stuff. I like mushrooms and taxidermy, but I'm not creepy. So. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I'm totally normal. I promise. Um, yeah, so that's a lot of the other stuff that I haven't really posted on my Instagram is like, oh, and Greek mythology. Humongous fan of Greek mythology. So lots of stuff that, I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, do I post it? Because I guess my account has become an inadvertent Red Rising account. Yeah, so long, I guess we're kind of already verging along the lines of this, but one of our patrons actually asked uh, what plans you have for additional portraits. So you talked about your husband and, and things like that, but maybe even more so in the Red Rising realm. Uh, Apollonius is actually next. 
Oh my. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> will he be naked? Oh, he will be naked. Okay, good. Classically, like tastefully naked. Oh. I told my husband the other day, I'm like, honey, I need you to pose. He's like, what? <laughs> I was like, don't worry. I just need some reference material. No one's going to know. Classy, like Venus de Milo. Yeah, like kind of like that. Like, there's not going to be any like junk hanging out or anything like that because <laughs> I don't want to get banned. But <laughs> but Apollonius is next. And then I am really flirting with Severo after Apollonius. Um, I put a poll out where people could vote on like, they wanted to see Severo or Apollonius. Everyone voted for Severo. And then I was like, nope, I'm going to veto that because Apollonius is actually a stronger character in my mind than Severo is. And so then after that, I'll do Severo. And then eventually, because I get this question like every week, is when are you going to do Daryl? I promise soon. I just, he's not there yet. Work up to it, yeah. Yeah. You know, you were talking about Severo and you you made a reference to, uh, I think, did you call it reference art that you use? Yeah, so I have like um, a folder on Pinterest with just thousands and thousands of faces. And um, so when I'm creating these portraits, I'll see like a facial feature that I'm like, holy crap, you know, I this belongs to like Severo since we're on that topic. And Severo to me, in my mind, like he has a lot of David Bowie features because he's nice. got like the totally messed up teeth and he's got like the long like hatchet face, which I would say David Bowie has very traditional hatchet face. Um, but he's also in a weird way, also kind of handsome because like, I know they describe Severo as ugly, but he's a gold. So come on. He's not really like yeah. that ugly. Ugly by um, gold standard, yeah. but not. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so you're like, you're on that fine line of like, okay, how do I, how do I do this? But for a lot of my portraits that I've done, it's like putting puzzles together, um, just picking and choosing facial features that I like. Um, and then trying to match the vision I have in my head of these characters and then putting it on paper and staying faithful to that. So we're going to see Apollonius next. Yes. Then Severo. Yes. And then possibly Darrow. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I like, I, I really, really want to do the family portrait of Trig. And uh, please, please. <laughs> so I love Trig so much. Yes, yeah. everyone does. And I was really surprised because, like, you want to talk about secondary characters. You've got this oh, one guy who huge. shows up for five minutes and then falls off a cliff. So, literally. I don't want to talk about it because I'll take up way too much of your time if we talk about Trig. We could do, I could do 20 minutes on Trig and, 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 and like feel very confident in that. Um, well, let's keep, let's keep going. Uh, do you have any favorite recent portraits that you want to add? Cause again, well, we're going to put the description, uh, like the link, but is there one that you or one or two that you want to highlight? Yeah. So my recent one of Lorne, that is like how I envisioned him in my head is exactly what is on the paper. And so to me, that was a humongous win in my personal development of drawing portraits. So he, that is one of my absolute favorites. Um, I love Victra. <laughs> she was so much fun to do. Um, and I really thought that I, I was able to capture her how I saw her in my head as well. And then I'm a huge fan of Rogue. And so when I was drawing Rogue, it was more like some fan, like fan girl, like, oh my gosh, look at this beautiful poet. So that one might've been self-indulgent, but eh, it's one of my favorites. I like your take on Rogue too. It's like, it's a little different than the, the common portrayal. You gave him shorter hair, correct? I did, yeah. He is traditionally, like in the book, I know he has long hair, but I was like, ah, I don't know. I just, that's one of those, like one where I know I'm like actively diverting from like how Pierce Brown describes. But you're an artist, so it's okay. Yeah, exactly. Like artist license. I'm like, sorry guys, he has <laughs> short hair in my world. <laughs> I love the Victra. You have like the portrait, but then you have kind of the full scale version. And then you also have the same with Mustang. I just want to talk about it real quick. They're incredibly beautiful because they're like their their dresses are kind of their gowns and you we wove in that gold leaf in a really prominent way. Everything feels like kind of I wouldn't say dark, but it has, you know, that everything's like heavily shaded or has just like very is it pencil or the ballpoint pen at that point? Uh those ones are all the full body ones are the ballpoint pen. Yeah. So it has that contrast where that gold pops out even more because it's a darker shade. Man, I, I look at that the train of Mustang's kind of uh her dress on that. And I don't know how you captured all that detail. How is it super hard to get like really in there and like create those little small spaces? Oh my gosh. That one was a pain in the butt because at the time I was using, it's like a gold foil like ink and I did not have like a calligraphy pen, which is what a lot of people do. So I was using this like stupidly small like paintbrush and I can't tell you how many times I had to repaint her dress black. There was so much swearing when mm. I did that picture. <laughs> I mean, I was really happy with the way it turned out, but I was like, never again. So not... Five minutes after I finished that picture, I bought a calligraphy pen. I'm like, I'm not doing this again. It was stupid. Well, good call. Yeah. <laughs> it turned out wonderful. That's a that's an amazing piece. Yeah. Thank you. We want to talk about where your name comes from. <laughs> yeah. Because, and I'll embarrass Jeremy a little bit. Because Please do. You he, always do. Yeah, I like to do that. It's, it's my favorite pastime on the podcast. But 
there's a PB is Pierce Brown, like for us <laughs> oh, internally. No. And I've seen that referenced multiple places, not oh, just no. between Jeremy and I. So, and with Jeremy's brain, because him and I just say PB for Pierce Brown in short, especially through email or text, um, you know, he assumed that PB Doodles was just Pierce Brown Doodles. And that was the name of your account. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but so explain, go ahead and kind of uh, take away that and explain the name. Okay, yeah, so PB does not stand for Pierce Brown. Um, it is the name that my nephews gave me. Um, I used to, I call my nephews Peanut and Squiggy, and they couldn't say my name all the way, so my sister called, started calling me PB for her kids' sake, and it just stuck. And so now it's like PB or Peebs, depending on how lazy my sister is. Yeah, like, I don't know how you can shorten like two letters, but, you know, she's done it. <laughs> it's actually been um, a little confusing a couple times because uh, Philip was... Uh, filling out the Google Doc that we have uh, our flowchart here with you initially. And I was jumping on, looking through the Google Docs, and I was like, oh, holy crap, we're going to interview Pierce Brown? <laughs> and he is like, no, PB Doodles. And I was like, oh, that's even better, actually. Oh, <laughs> oh sa you oh. saved it. <laughs> I saved it. I was like, wait no, a second. <laughs> I would not be offended if you would rather interviewed Pierce Brown. I mean, I would never say no. My gosh. <laughs> I choose both. I'm, I'm actually very, very excited to be interviewing you right now. Yeah. And I, I but I want to save you, Jeremy, from the, the, the minor embarrassment I just cast upon you. I think that a lot of people may have made that a same assumption where you're really red rising focused in your art and then PB doodles. Right. There's a natural connection there. And I just didn't make that connection. But shout out to those who did. I was going to say, I didn't either. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break real fast. We'll come back with PB. We're going to talk about some of her favorite things from the Red Rising series. We'll be back in just a minute. Hey everyone, we are back with PB Doodles. I say your formal name, like as if it's like your first and last name. <laughs> uh, we're gonna talk about some of her favorite scenes from books one through three. So if anyone's listening and they haven't read these books yet, press pause and just uh, go and enjoy your day and then come back after you've read those three books. Anyway, spoiler-free zone. So we asked you to go ahead and give us some favorite scenes, favorite moments. And for Red Rising, you said you could not pick one. I can't. <laughs> You're incapable of picking a favorite scene or favorite moment. So, but you wanted to kind of your favorite moment essentially is the entire book. So yes, <laughs> explain that for us. Okay. So as far as like Red Rising, the first book, I had not come across a book like this that was so expansive in world building and like character development in a very, very long time. Like Sanderson does a really good job of it, but this was like, I'm not a huge fantasy fan. Sorry guys. Mm, just, you're good. But science fiction, holy crap. This was like on the level of Dune for me. And I was so immersed in this world and I got completely lost in it. And like every single scene was perfect in my mind. Um, the character development was incredible. The characters he introduces, like the flaws and the layering and everything like that. Incredible. Um, so yeah, it, <laughs> I cannot, I cannot <laughs> pick one. It's yeah. So with the world building, is it, is it really exclusive like to the mines or uh, when you come up to Yorkton and it's kind of like the world is revealed and you first see it? What, what, what is that world building trying to take us more into that? Um, it's literally all of it. I have to actually say, you know, as far as like world building goes, the mines are my least favorite part. And, okay. and that's not even saying a bad thing because the mines were incredible. It was actually how he layered gold society, the color, the coloring tiers, how he did that. The cast system was so well done. Um, the minute you come up to the city, you just have this like expansive, vibrant picture in your head. And like, that's not all you have the institution and that's not all either. You have like, you know, the moons and then past the moons, you have the moon and then you have the outer rim. And it's just like, you have like so many options. And, you know, I was talking to Rebecca about this actually, as I was reading the book, I'm like, I don't want to see this as a TV show. I don't even want to see this as a movie. This needs to be a video game, like expansive world building video game. Oh my gosh, I would die. Like an MMO style where you can just kind of explore for hours and hours. Yes. Just like super sandbox. Like Skyrim. <laughs> you like just do Red Rising Skyrim version where you're just like going around questing. I don't, it's just the, it's just such a fertile ground for like, expansive storytelling and i think you know 
I'm going to be really sad when he finishes the last book. Maybe if it actually kicks off, I mean, that might open the gate for a video game possibly if it, it, it takes off. So yeah, who knows? I actually have this really weird opinion where I kind of, um, I, I, I do want to see it become a TV show, but if I were to pick my format, this is weird. I'd like to see it animated. I'd like to you see an what? animated version. Yes, of it. I completely agree with you. You, it, there's yes. no limits with animation and you can exactly. capture the world exactly how it needs to be with um you don't have to rely on like cgi too heavily which i i get annoyed by in most modern movies especially with sci-fi and fantasy or like the marvel the marvel movies feel like i'm watching a computer half the time and it's like i want to see something authentic but if you just shift that focus and go to something that's drawn uh i would i would really like to see that world but I don't know if we ever will, but it would be it'd be my preference. So who knows? I, I love Clone Wars. I think they did a fantastic job in the Star Wars IP. Like, would you want to see it kind of in that realm or what? Um. Okay. So, uh, I actually hate the Clone Wars. <laughs> oh no, that's okay. We can we I, can disagree on something. I'm so sorry. I you know I like <laughs> Dave Filoni. I like what he's doing with the Mandalorian. Like I've already seen every episode like three times. Um. But I don't like that style of animation. Like, I don't like the catering to, like, the ages, like, 8 to 11 or 12. Um, I don't know if you guys have read, like, his um, graphic novels, you know, dealing with Ares and the Sons of Ares. They're really gritty, dark, like, super... I've seen some exceptional animation. I just am not a huge fan of, like, the Pixar look. Like, these, like, cute little characters. Like, I... Pierce has talked on record saying he wants it to feel R-rated, essentially, whatever show or... Whatever, and so I'd still want to see that version because you can be vicious, you can be violent, and because the world is the world he created is a very vicious, violent world, but in an animated style that isn't. It it kind of deviates from something that's like Pixar or too like well rounded, like where there's harsh angles a lot of times. Yeah, things can still be beautiful in that space, but they don't need to be like perfect. And I, I, I that's what I would prefer to see if I were just if we're up to me, which it clearly is not. So. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, so that's your, basically you love the world building. Red Rising is, and it, it, it is like a big, it's an ocean and you can't really put your foot finger on one thing. And you are in like, essentially you are in three different places in Red Rising. You're in the mines, you're in, you're in Yorkton essentially with Dancer and, and Mickey getting trained and then you're in the Institute. But you do feel like every step you're going, you do feel like those are limited walls. And by the time you get to Golden Sun, the walls just start falling down and you're in this bigger space, bigger space, bigger space, each chapter as you go through the entire series. And now we're, we're like, we're inside of a solar system rather than just a, an insular, like little Institute. So I like that call. I like that. You didn't pick one and you just like rather focus on. <laughs> um, so you said for golden sun, you have two favorite scenes. And then one is the EMP blast yes. uh, right before and the, when the, really everything really hits the fan. And that's, uh, we'll set that up in a second. And then two, you like the, uh, Oh, you said, no, okay, I hope that our producers aren't listening to this part. because I. <laughs> so take out your headphones, guys. And then you, of course, you said when we find out who Ares is. So, because uh, I know that they're reading the books right now uh, and they're they're in Golden Sun. Which one do you want to talk about first? Um, We'll go ahead and talk about the EMP blast because it happens before that. I just, I love the poetry of that scene. I love how hopeless it is. I, I love just like everything hitting the fan at once. Um, Just the way he wrote it with you know, having a child release the EMP blast, um, a low color child, and just his description of the water and the mud and the bodies and the carnage and losing like the complete and total like chaos and illogical thing of war where people just die. Like there's, there's no rhyme or reason. They just, they die. And you lose so many people in that like four or five pages. And you're like, oh, gosh, but yes, I like what you did there. Um, and then just, you know, being trapped in the mud under the water and what's running through Darrow's head. Um, I think that's like the really one of the first times you see Pierce Brown, like I would say one develop as a writer. I don't know what it is about that scene, but to me, like he leveled up in that scene a little bit. And from then on, you get even more complicated Darrow. You get more complicated Severo, um, Ragnar. All of these characters, you start to just really explore their flaws and their pride. And I love that. It's just it's beautiful. Yeah, I, I, I like what you said about how it kind of is, is a marker in his writing style. And uh, Philip and I were actually just talking about this scene um, the other night. We were prepping for uh, our Severo episode in season two. And... Uh, he was asking me what my favorite Severo scene was, and I, I named this one um, 
because of the fact that we really see the depth of Severo in this time, like, and you were actually mentioning that, uh, PB, and it's like we finally see Severo actually have kind of normal humanity and, and really break down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and he's a great kind of comic relief character. He's fun. People, you know, he's a fan favorite. People love him, but like he really just becomes real to me. And I think this is the point in the book series where I actually kind of became a Severo fan myself. Really? You weren't like a from the get go type of Severo fan? No, it's not that I disliked him. I, I was kind of indifferent on him, to be honest. Uh, I don't need a comic relief character when I read. So uh, I know some people do, but um, I, I just don't rely on that. So, But at this point, I, just, I really just became like Team Severo. To show some vulnerability on that, um, I was like, again, I, the reason I asked Jeremy, because I was listening to, we've been like listening to Golden Sun on audiobook and then reading it and kind of just going through the book because we were prepping for the second season. And I just got to that scene uh, a few weeks ago and I was like, and so Weed dies in that, like one of the OG howlers. And Rotback does too, so is Harpy, but Weed dies specifically in the mud. And it's and it's captured and it's and it's talked about. And it's the first time that you I don't know, it feels so different than maybe Quinn dying in the past. There there's this level of like it's out of our control. It's completely out of our control. And we can't like every death felt like it had some sort of not just rhyme or reason, but it also had some sort of like, if I didn't do that, maybe I could have saved it. You couldn't have saved weed. He just dies. And then, and I, I actually was thinking about this and Severo walks away, he's crying. And I audibly said like, poor Severo. And I just like literally, and I was tearing up because I was like, I, I felt so much for him because he has no control over this. And, and I, I, so it's a great scene to capture. It's a weird in a way to have it be your favorite, but from a literary <laughs> standpoint, from a literary standpoint, it is a very, um, a very well-written piece. And uh, I loved it. I love it because Severo is my favorite character and he's my favorite character, not because he's comic relief, but because I honestly think of all the characters in there, he has the strongest grasp on reality than all the characters. And I like that about him. There's, there's no pretense. It's just Severo. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's like, he doesn't have the gold mask or never feels the need to wear it. He's just, he's unapologetic about who he is. So the second thing you said is like the fine, the Aries reveal. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I think a lot of people would put that pretty high on their list as far as Golden Sun moments or scenes. Uh, but I want to give you the same opportunity to talk about why that is. Well, so one of the books I love is Ender's Game. And to me, like the twist was like right up there on like, woo, plot twist. Um, I loved it just because I actually I can say who it is, right? Yeah, for sure. Okay. For, we would so, give a spoiler. Yeah. We give a spoiler. Okay. Mm -hmm. I love Fitchner as a character. I loved him. The minute he walked into the room with Daryl, I hated him, but I loved him. And yeah. so to really like like the orchestrator of all of this chaos and nonsense is Fitchner. Are you kidding me? Yes, this is great. Um and then, you know, you see this like weird affectionate side of Fitchner in those like few paragraphs where he's like you idiot i had this under control what have you done and then you have this like strong emotion towards fitchner where you're like oh my gosh i hate you but i love you i finally understand you as a character like finally understand you and i'm a huge character development person i plot's great but i prefer character development over plot and so to see that like extreme like quantum leap of fitchner was incredible well so within that moment though it's 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 unpacking a lot of things at once because yes, there's a reveal, but if you kind of like, if you've reread the story and as you guys, people will know what I'm talking about, everything in hindsight has clarity to it quickly. You see like in Oct like when he's playing the game with Octavia, the Oracle, he was kind of like, let's bring him into the fold. Or when he, um, when they're escaping, they're trying to escape the gala. And then he is that he is announced as the rage knight and he has uh 99 obsidians behind him and he shoots Nero with like a stun fist and then Adris and goes, okay, Daryl, you can come with me. Like he's always giving him a protective layer. And you're like, and you're like, why, why is he always like, what's the affinity? Cause he's right. just, he doesn't have anything that he like seems to like anybody, but there's this like weird underlying affinity for Fitchner has for Daryl. And it, it, it would be weird to it'd be too thin to say he was just cause he's a student. Cause a lot of kids were his students. So I love that moment too because it it kind of like you can kind of backsplash it. You can go back through their timeline and see all the the ways that he was trying to aid him, and that's why you said it was great. You yeah, you idiot! Like well, I had it under control, <laughs> yeah. man. Yeah, and it's crazy because I when I reread it, I got my obviously the second reading of Fitchner was like I had so much more compassionate empathy for him after understanding his story. Where like the first read through, I was like, "Gosh, you are such a butt," Ugh. but now you're like. 
you you learn to hate the golds in a different kind of way. Um, there's more humanity in them, and I that's why I loved that scene. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, Fitch Nurse Aries, cool. It's just like I understand this, his relationship with several. I understand Daryl. I understand his reasoning. I understand the whole story with Bryn. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like dang it, Pierce, so good. I like how you put that. I, like you you reread and you can kind of like see the the golds in like a different light and and it's it's totally true um i i do want to unpack because ender's game is is one of my top series of all times um so unpack that for me a little bit because you kind of made a reference and i think we can do uh ender's game spoilers here too so don't feel (laughs) feel weird about that spoilers for ender's game i (laughs) love ender's game especially i just read it actually a month ago um because you can tell that pierce took a lot from ender's game um the jackal Mm -hmm. and the jackal and his relationship between mustang and um adrius versus like um peter and valentine it's the same dynamic and so i really love that but when you're you know talking about twists and stuff where the author is such an amazing artist that they can have you on one train of thought for the entire thing and then rip it out from under you. And then you read the book again and you're like, how did I miss that? It's incredible. It's an in- incredibly unique talent that I think a lot of artists or artists try to imitate, but always miss the mark. And Orson Scott Card is, I mean, he did it in like three books. Like every single book of his <laughs> is like if phenomenal. And you're like, how? Yeah. What? Who's, when did you sell your soul? Come on, buddy. Like what? <laughs> So I love his books, and I that's like another podcast episode I could talk about that forever. <laughs> Orson Scott Card is amazing, and and he's one of those again. We'll reference this back. He's another one who has to go by his full name. No one calls him Card. It's Orson Scott Card. So there you go. It's PB Doodles. Orson Scott Card. Pierce Brown is another one. So there you go. Are you are you a fan of the Shadow Line or the original Ender's Line? I like the original Ender's Line, and I read a lot of his early works. Like I read Magic Street and stuff like that, and I don't like his fantasy as much as I like his science fiction. But I love his work with Ender. Like his character arc with Ender is incredible, and just just by nature of that, I could read the books over and over and over again. I'm a, I'm a huge like Speaker for the Dead fan, but uh, that's a good one. That's, that's as far as we'll go down that line. <laughs> Whose dog was that? That was my dog. He has no manners. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, uh, <laughs> shout out to your dog. Uh, yeah. Okay, so we have Morningstar now. And and I you have four favorite scenes because you couldn't pick one again. But I actually want to talk about two of them specifically and because they're they're we talked about this, but I, I want to get a little more in depth on it. You have like some sweet ones like Daryl and Severo's heart to heart in the hallway. We're not gonna talk about that. That's like <laughs> no. And then you have the final you have like kind of towards the end of the book, the final scene. We're not gonna talk about that. Oh no. But you said one of your favorite scenes in Morningstar, which is this is wild to me, and I think people like think it's wild, is when he gets shot in the throat by Mustang. Yes. <laughs> yes. Tell me why. Okay, first of all, I hate Cassius. I hate him. I hate him so much. Yet you drew him three times. I know. And I hated drawing him three times too. And that's the thing. Like I kept getting like tons of like requests for Cassius. I'm like, okay, I can do this. I can do this. And I never got his face right because I was so filled with hatred trying to draw him. It's like, he never looks right. I hate his character. So I just. Would it be like more palatable and uh, like gratifying if you drew him with an arrow through his neck? You know, I didn't think of that, but probably I should do that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think I will. Just like when I draw Lysander, it's going to be with him and his half of his face melted because I hate Lysander. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. <laughs> I just I hate Cassius's character. I hate like his just this. It's just like an infuriating like attachment to his weird sense of honor and his like just. I hated him and Mustang's relationship dynamic. Yeah, hard to swallow. It was really hard to swallow. Like I, I hated that Mustang used him, but he kind of put her in a position where she had to. And I hated him for that. And I hated the entire Bologna family for that. And I just, I, I hated that. Like he always thought he was right. And he always like had the upper hand because he was like from this great family and Mm -hmm. he had this like destiny. I don't know. So when he got like hit in the throat by the one woman he will ever love, I'm like, thank you, Pierce. Thank you for that small (laughs) mercy. I just hate his character and he needed to be taken down a notch. If you're ranking most gratifying moments with inside Morningstar, where does that rank? Oh, it's high. It's so high. It's like within the top five. I'm just like, oh, thank you're you. Like, he's like, you're like, oh, it's so gratifying. Oh. <laughs> I know. <laughs> when I read it, I like, I always look forward to it and I reread the book. I'm like, oh, it's coming. Yes. Well, Jeremy likes Cassius quite a bit. I, I like Cassius <laughs> as like, as a number six or seven kind of favorite character. But yeah, I think in fairness, though, even to Cassius lovers, like 
he waffles like within the story and by design. So it's not it's not it's not like really him. It's more like Pierce's design. But it's it he is so for some people definitely hard to attach themselves to. So he can be he can be portrayed as a villain by some and then uh you know adored as a hero by others. So you've just veered towards that one end of the spectrum and, and that's totally fair. I think it's totally fair. Let's talk about the second thing. Alia's decaption. So Alia Snow Sparrow. <laughs> I know. These are both really violent. You like mushrooms and taxidermy, and then you like uh, shot in the throat and decapitation. Oh, gosh. You know, this is painting a portrait of me that I'm not sure I'm comfortable with. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. I promise you I'm normal. <laughs> People are very dimensional. It's okay. Um, so <laughs> what about what about um, Alia's decapitation? Is like I would honestly, if I'm rereading Morningstar and I'm going through like, and I have, I've read it you know, several times, but... If I'm reading that book, that's a moment I don't even give really a lot of notice to. It's like, okay, it's a moment that pushes another moment forward, which is Sefi joining the Rising, essentially. But what about that? Is it the trigger of it that being that kind of pushing forward? Or is it more like the moment itself? I think it's the moment itself. Because one is like justice for Ragnar, because Alia knew everything that was going on. And I was like, you piece of garbage. Um, so, you know, Ragnar had worked so hard to, you know, free his people and, you know, set up, like, sending his sages to, you know, preach the Ragnar gospel, I guess, if that's what you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Ollie is out beheading people. And then, like, Sefi, of course, has taken this, like, was it 20 years of silence? Um, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, to honor her brother and then for her to have this, like, realization that her mother is, like, literally no better than a gold mm. in, in this. And that her mother had sold hundreds of thousands of people into slavery just to one maintain her own power i was just like mm, i don't like it and so the fact that like her reign of terror was something ended with something so insignificant is getting decapitated like yeah guess what this is what your life amounted to great work um and that it was really good as a sefi a plot driver for sefi because you know now we have this incredibly strong obsidian replacing her mother and I love Sefi's character because she's everything that Alia was not. Um, but Alia, for me, was such a strong character in the chapter that we see her that she was actually one of the first portraits I did because he paints such a vivid picture of her. Yeah, he talks about her pers- like her facial features a lot more than he might talk about that quickly, yeah. And so I was really fascinated with that. And so just that entire scene um, is so like branded into my brain that I'm like, okay, well... Yeah, and so I look forward to it every single time I read the book. How many times have you read through the original trilogy, by the way? Um, twice. I actually read through it the first time I finished it in April. It was like my quarantine reading book. Oh, seriously? Yeah, so I'm actually pretty new, I guess you would say, um, aside from reading about the mind scene two years ago. And then I like immediately reread it again. And I'm, I, I struggle with the second trilogy. I love the first trilogy. I, I I read it on the audiobooks, and so it's really hard for me to have like the divergence of it's not Dara's perspective anymore. Um, but I do love them. And you just like them in a different way, and and they are different. They're clearly different. It's 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 almost like stylistically they are because you get the multiple POV. But also, it's I think there is Pierce Brown to his credit has evolved a lot too. Yeah, he totally has. And by Dark Age, from a literary standpoint, it's so different than Red Rising. <laughs> it's so different. Almost like a different author. Yeah. But there's just little things inside that you go, oh, yeah, this is Pierce Brown. But it could, you could, if you just told me to read a paragraph from Dark Age and a paragraph from Red Rising, you might think that it's a different writer. Like, you might. Yeah, absolutely. PB, I was, you know, I'm looking through your favorite scenes, and it just seems like there's a lot of, like, tension. Like, these scenes that you choose are kind of, built on a this pivot point in the story is that is that by choice or, or did you notice that yourself well after talking to you guys like it became extremely noticeable to me i'm like oh geez uh <laughs> wow um apparently i'm just like i love like being anxious all the time i guess um <laughs> no i don't know what it is about those scenes it just seems like pierce is such an artist at you know making these high tension scenes not only like literarily beautiful, but you know, such massive plot drivers. And I love that. I love that about his writing style. And so, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's also, I mean, it's just like the ones we just talked about, you know, Cassius and Alia. And there seems to be this, like, you seem to respect righteousness and, yes. <laughs> and, and what's right, you know, what somebody has come into them. And so, yeah, yeah, no, I guess I totally do. I'm thinking back to like every single TV series I've ever watched or read or yep. I, yeah. 
we're going to go ahead and wrap up, but how can we find your work and also your Etsy? My Instagram is at PBDoodles and my Etsy store is in my bio on my Instagram. You can buy originals there. I don't have a very high stock right now. A lot of them sold out pretty quickly. How many did you sell so far? I have 12 sales right now. Somebody bought one last night, so I was really excited about that. That's so awesome. Which one sold? Several. The very first several I did. So that one sold. My plan is to, when I finish a portrait, give people like a 24-hour notice and then put it up into my Etsy store you know, as the original. Um, I'm flirting with the idea of doing stickers because I hate the idea of prints. It's such a pain in the butt and I don't have a good printer for it. But yeah, Instagram, that's really where you're going to find me. I'm not on Facebook. I don't have a website. So I actually have a a question for you because we have a pretty international audience. Does your Etsy store ship outside the U.S.? It can. Um, I really prefer like if people are interested in a piece to message me about it. Uh, The USPS right now, especially with like the rampant coronavirus cases going on, they're like not guaranteeing mail. They're not insuring certain mail to different countries. Um, It's slower in areas with really high rates of coronavirus. And I live in one of the top three states where like the cases are really, really bad. So um, yeah, the USPS right now, it's not reliable outside of the US and I would even say Canada. So message you on Instagram or uh, on Etsy for sure. Yes. I've been actually kind of tracking that, like looking at Etsy to seeing like the first you opened it a week ago. I opened it last Saturday and I had, I think, eight sales within the first four hours, which I was not expecting. Congratulations. (laughs) That's crazy. Thank you. I was not expecting it. These are original pieces. These are not duplicates or prints. Nope. Prints um, for graphite are very difficult. uh, duplicating graphite prints are very hard. It's very difficult to get a good scan on graphite. It's not like digital art where you can just like put in a printer and it looks like exactly on the screen. Uh, graphite does not scan well. But you get OGs though. Like that's better. Yeah, you get OGs. It's <laughs> like, I, I mean, mean, you're owning a piece of like, I don't know, maybe one day my work will be worth a million and now you're sitting on a million dollars <laughs> on your wall. I mean, <laughs> hey. <laughs> uh, again, imagine if you have the original and you framed it and it's hanging on your wall and then you're cruising, uh, kind of a reference back, you're cruising on the internet and you go to the wiki page for Red Rising and your picture and what everyone views <laughs> is like hanging on the wall next to you. That's that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. And then you have bragging rights because like some of the pictures, Pierce Brown's like, yeah, that's it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, he said your Ragnar, I think was like the Ragnar. Yeah, Ragnar, um, Harmony and Lauren. He actually commented on Lauren last night after oh, he followed wow. me. And he's like, this is it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so starstruck right now. You heard it here first, kids. <laughs> <laughs> PB Doodles is her amazing art on Etsy. And check her out on Instagram. We'll be back in a couple weeks and we'll keep you guys posted. Until then, hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. (laughs) Thanks to Pierce Brown for writing the beloved Red Rising series. A special thanks to Tim, our engineer and sound designer. Check out his music on Spotify by looking for the link in our podcast description. And thanks to all our contributors who made this show possible. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your respective podcast platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Hail Reaper Pod, and you can email us at hailreaperpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, please take a look on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Hail Reaper. Until next time, for my co-host, Philip, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>